How y'all doing this morning? Good. Good. Good to see you. My name is Josh Bradley. I am a member of this church and been a part of this campus uh, for about the past five years now, four years now. Absolutely love it here. And last service, I spent too much time on my introduction and I was rushing through the Bible and you never want to rush through the Bible. Jesus will be mad at you. So um, that was a joke. Y'all are going to need to get better at laughing at me because I'm a sensitive guy. Okay, we just set that out right up front. Uh, but no, I'll just, I just uh, tell you a little bit about me. Uh, we've been here since 2019, as I said before. Grew up right down the street, uh, right here in Simpsonville. And I work for uh, this little thing right here, South Carolina Baptist Convention. I'm a church planting strategist. And I just want to say, Steve, thank you to First Baptist Upstate Church for the partnership. As, as um, our partnership with First Baptist, we are here to serve you as you are doing the work of the ministry. And man, there are incredible things going on across the state of South Carolina. Right now, just for instance, we have 28, soon to be 29 funded church plants across the South Carolina, and 37% of them are not white people, which is amazing to me that we're planting churches for people that look like the people in our state. So we're really, really excited about that. Uh, man, God is doing a really, really great work. And Pastor Wayne Bray, I love him with all my heart. Uh, man, he, by the way, he texts me at the most, rare, like it'll be 1030 at night. He's like, hey, man, can you send me this right now? I was like, bro, I'm in the bed. But anyway, he's just such a great partner. Uh, just so you know, uh, not only are we interested in putting campuses all across the state, but our church is also interested in helping plant new churches. Uh, our staff is investing in church planters across the upstate of South Carolina. In fact, Wayne and Amy came to the beach with our team just last month and led a marriage retreat for, for about 30 different couples from all across the state. And man, was it just absolutely incredible to hear them and their encouragement. But we love you guys. And I also want to say something about Pastor Corey. I love, love, love Corey. Uh, he's the best, man, one of the most articulate people I've ever met in my life. Um, really takes God's word seriously. And I don't know if you know this, but it's Pastor Appreciation Month, right? Which is October. Now, if you want to do something nice for Corey, here's a couple of ideas for you. First of all, write him a note and don't just tell him thank you. Be specific about what something he said to encourage you, right? And then the second thing you can do is if you have any major problems, take them to somebody else, right? That, that will be, the, be the, the last part was a joke. The first one was not, but figure out how you can, how you can bless him. I am so excited about what God's doing here, and I'm excited about this series. We're talking about the heart, which which is the seat of our emotion, the core of who we are, the very essence of how we feel and think is our heart. And part of our responsibility in life is, is continuing to nurture our heart towards God, right? Yeah. Nurture our heart towards who we are in Him. In this series, we've been talking all about what that means and how it is that we do that, and and today, uh, and I don't know if you know if you, if you know this, but the, the 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 truth is, the seat of our emotions now is our heart. But in the Old Testament, it wasn't our heart, right? Does anybody know what it was in the Old Testament? Our bowels, or our intestines. Which imagine telling your lady, honey, I love you deep down in my small intestine, and I just need you to feel like. 
that was funnier than the response I got from you guys. My, that's, I, I worked on this all week. Right? This is good material. It's not good material. <laughs> and it didn't get laughed at in the first service either, did it? It, was, it, 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 went, it went over like a bomb. So uh, it is. It's the seed of who we are, and it's part of what we care about, and it's part of how we nurture our heart towards the Lord. And today we're asking this question, which is how do we guard our hearts against or from temptation, right? Um, maybe another way to say this is, how do we grow in our relationship with the Lord? Or, or, or what does it look like to become a mature follower of, of Jesus? And, and here's what I believe, and I, and I believe this with all of my heart. See what I did there? I believe this with all of my heart. The more you understand about how it is you grow and mature in your Christian faith, the more your heart will continue to reflect the heart of God. Let me, I'm going to say it one more time. The more you understand about how it is you grow and mature in the Christian faith, the more I believe your heart will reflect God's heart. Now, the problem is, if you're anything like me, I grew up in the independent, fundamental, King James only, which is the Bible Jesus read, Baptist church, right? And this is what they told us. Here's how you grow closer to God, is you stop doing bad stuff. And when I was a kid, that was my favorite stuff to do, was bad stuff, right? And, and listen, it's just, it's just how we were taught. Like, like it, it's kind of like this equation. Like, we really believe that, that the way we mature in our faith is we do more good stuff and we do less bad stuff, and that makes us a mature follower of Christ. But I just want you to understand, if you're anything like me, you've been trying to keep up with that equation for your whole life, that can get overwhelming. Can anybody else say with me that you maybe feel overwhelmed trying to do more good stuff and less bad stuff? You can be honest and raise your hand in church. You're not, nobody's going to yell at you or point you out. It can be overwhelming. Because the truth is, it's impossible to meet that standard all the time. It's impossible, but, but we keep working harder, trying harder, and it's kind of like this, it's, it, you know, we, we, we go to church, well, first of all, we live our week the best we can, and we make a bunch of mistakes, right? Anybody done that this week? I'm with you. I tried to kill my children yesterday, not physically, but <laughs> many other ways. <laughs> I'm messing up every day, right? And, and, and then we, we feel guilty, and then we come here, and then we go, what in the world do I do? And we feel guilty some more, and we think, well, what I must do is I just, I just got to read. I just got to read more. Got to read more of the Bible, you know, maybe a chapter a day, or maybe two chapters a day, or maybe a book. I mean, how much do I need to read? And, or maybe, maybe just, I just need to pray more. Maybe I need to, I need to give more. And y'all, listen, if anything, you definitely need to give more. Have y'all seen that building over there? Like, we got to pay this thing off. And I think the parking lot costs more than the whole building. Which, by the way, I think it's full right now. So I don't, who's, who's running this church? I don't know, but I'd be concerned. Um, and it, that was also a joke. I have to tell people when I'm joking because I'm not funny, apparently. And, uh, yeah, it, or it sounds serious. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 it's like this, this whole idea that, that we just 
Do more, pray more, try more, work more. And if you just do all those things, then finally, finally, one day, you'll be close to Jesus and he'll finally be proud of you. But if you're anything like me, just never, ever, ever fully get there, right? You just always feel like that kid that just can't quite keep up to the standard. Maybe last in class, if you will. Well, the truth is, that standard is impossible to meet without the power of Jesus in our lives. And it's not about our own effort. It's not about trying harder, doing more, working more, giving more, praying more, reading more. It really is growth in the Christian life for you and growth in the Christian life for me means trusting more. Trusting who God is and trusting who we are. We're going to get into that a little bit more. In fact, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans 6. And I want to dive in there in just a minute. But I don't know. I, I, I feel like the more we live and the more our world gets further and further away from our Judeo-Christian principles that we've kind of lived by by a long time. Like, you ever heard that, like, I wish things could go back to the way they were years ago? Well, some of that's true, right? Like in the 1950s, maybe things were a lot better for some people, but maybe not for other people. But the truth is our culture maybe was kinder towards Christian principles, and now our culture is wildly antagonistic towards Christian principles. It really isn't easy to live a Christian life in our culture, so it makes it harder and harder to try to conform our hearts towards Christianity and resist temptation in this culture. Is anybody else tracking with me? And then we carry these things around in our pockets. You got one? Mine's over there. Everywhere we go, right? right? Now, there are children in the room. Close your ears. But I just want to be honest for just a second. Right, right. As a man, as a man, I remember being a kid, 12 and 13 years old. Man, do y'all remember? We were just trying to look at all the dirty pictures we could find. Y'all remember that? Y'all can giggle nervously. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> giggle nervously, right? Remember? Remember? It was, I'm, I'm going to stop right there, but y'all remember, y'all remember. And now... They're looking for us. We are a target of the enemy, and we carry that joker around in our front pocket. And I'm not here to blast a phone, because I would die without mine by tomorrow. I wouldn't know when to wake up or be at work. And I don't know how we figured that out before we got phones, but this is the situation we're in. But man, we're responsible to guard our hearts against temptation, and we got temptation right here in our front pocket, and we're giving it to our kids when they're 10 years old? If I had that device in my pocket when I was 12 and 13 and 14 years old, I'd be in prison today. How, how in the world do we manage this life with the pressures of our culture, with the pressures of temptation, and the wickedness of our own sinful hearts without God. How in, how in the world do we ever do that? And, and, and I just want to be honest with you for just a second. The truth is, when it comes to our sin, no one is deceiving you more than you are deceiving yourself. I hate being lied to. I hate being lied to. It's the worst thing for me. In fact, I've been lied to this year 
Dabo told me we were going to have a great football team. <laughs> it's not true. It is not true at all. Have you seen him play? It's terrible. It's awful. And I'm, I'm traumatized by it, and I don't appreciate you laughing at that part of the message. <laughs> but I don't like being lied to. I, 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 I really, I want you to understand something. Like when it comes to truth and lies in your own life, like nobody's lying to you more than you're lying to yourself about the things that you're involved in on a regular basis that are apart from the truth of the word of God and inflective of his heart. Because lies will come to us like it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Or here's another one. I'll only do it once. I promise I will never, ever, ever do it again. Amen. Man, I, I got a phone call this week. I got a phone call this week of a guy who's in dark sin and he is trying to manage it. Mm. Keep it from coming out. Mm. Well, I, I know I did this, but the truth is, you know, I, just, I don't want to hurt people. I'm just, I'm just going to keep it to my, it's my, how many of you heard this lie? It's my story to tell. No, no, no. You're deep, dark in your sin and you're the biggest liar in your own life. And so, so here we are responsible to guard our hearts against temptation and we have a culture combating us. We have this little device in our pocket combating us and we have our own sinfulness apart from Jesus coming against us, lying to us on a daily basis. It can be overwhelming. Good luck, guys. I'll see you all next week. So, And I know you laugh, but the truth is that's kind of how we looked at it. We walk away and we tell people, try harder and do better. We'll see you next week. Don't forget to drop your offering off in the back of the room. And the truth is, all the while, we meet, we gather to sing some songs inside of a room, and none of us ever really grow. We just come here and compare ourselves to other people, hoping we'll find somebody that's worse than we are so we feel better and can make it through another six days. That was good. We have to understand and have the right perspective of what grace is and what God has done for us in order for us to grow. Now, we're going to talk about this. Um, we're in Romans. That book was written by a guy named Paul. Okay, just real quick. Paul penned a great deal of the New Testament. He was kind of like a bishop or an overseer for a lot of churches, and he was planting churches all over. So how he would help manage those churches, and I say manage, I mean manage people in their lives and teach them how to understand the gospel, is he would write them letters. And when he would write them letters, this particular letter was written to the churches in Rome. That's why we call it the book of Romans, right? So Paul didn't sit down and find a publisher and try to figure out how to write a book and it had a cover and a hardback. No, 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 no. He wrote a letter and that letter was intended to be written to a group of people in the church. And they would read this letter, and they would read it, and what Paul would do is he would combat, usually in a lot of his letter, he would combat, not only tell them the truth, but he would combat the false teachings of his day. And then we read this now in our culture, in our context, and we can learn, hey, how do we combat the same false teachings that we have today? And here, we're going to pick up in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul's combating a, a sin, a, a, he's combating a lie in the church that tells people, we have Jesus, don't worry about the culture, don't worry about your own sin, just do whatever you want to do. And Paul comes along in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, and here's what he says. What should we say then? 
So, so should we continue to sin so that grace could multiply? Meaning, should we just sin more so Jesus could forgive us more? Right? And I'm like, at, at face value, he makes a good argument. <laughs> you wonder, man, that's not a bad idea. But the truth is, nothing could be further from the gospel. And he says that in verse 2. Absolutely not. Which, by the way, is, Steve, am I wrong? This is almost a cuss word in, in, in the Greek. Like it, It's as strong as you can say it. Absolutely not, he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And that's a great question. If we come to Christ, we're celebrating baptism today. If we come to Christ, that baptism represents we're buried in him and we're risen to walk in a new life. If that's true of you, if you've been buried in Christ, if you are dead to sin, how can you still live in that old life? The truth is you can't. But the question is, how do you guard your heart against all this sin coming at you? Well, here it is. Number one, you've got to have the right perspective of God's grace. You have to understand what it is that God is doing for you and through you for you to have any ability to be able to live this life and mature in your faith. It's not working more. It's trusting his grace more. Because of the grace through the power of Jesus, we do not have to live as slaves to sin anymore. Amen. We are slaves to Christ. We are slaves to grace. We are slaves to righteousness. Now we're free to live and love how Christ created us to live and to love in him. Why? Because we've been made a new person. But see, that's not what we're taught. We're taught that our role is to come to church and invite Christ into our hopes and dreams. Invite him to make all of our dreams come true. And we think that if we do more good stuff plus less bad stuff, then hopefully like he'll answer seven out of ten prayers and we can get the things that we really want more than we want him. New cars, new house, better job, more money, prettier wife. If you already have a wife, don't pray for a prettier wife, please. That's a bad idea. That was not a joke. <laughs> but however, it was funny. <laughs> But it just illustrates a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel, a fundamental misunderstanding of a fundamental misunderstanding of how this whole thing works, works, a fundamental misunderstanding of how we even grow in this faith and what a mature Christian even looks like. Verse 3 we pick up. Read with me. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Do you understand that the grace of Jesus at work in your life kills your old self? Here's my question for you. What are you a slave to? Either, either your heart is bent towards righteousness. And I'm not meaning like you do everything right every day. Because you can ask my kids about that. Like, they will tell you, for sure, dad is a dangerous man. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what is seated in your heart. The core of who you are. What's in there? 
So if you just for a moment right now were to evaluate what you are a slave to, what would that be? Man, some questions you could ask. Where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your time? What do you wake up thinking about every day? What would cause you to take another job? Would it be more money and more opportunity or more, more credibility? Or would it be that you have another opportunity to take the gospel to another place? And we'll criticize pastors for taking bigger churches. But all the while, all the while engineers and all other kind of people, they, they get a job with more money and we're like, the Lord blessed them, didn't he? Well, why? We have a different standard for people who aren't professional Christians. We have a different standard. Why? We think pastors should live one way and we think the church maybe should live another. All the while, we don't understand or believe or even know the real gospel of Jesus Christ. You are on mission for Jesus. He's not on mission for you. And when I say that, I don't mean he doesn't love you, care for you, moving for you, or for you. I mean that he's not here to make your dreams come true. He's here to rescue you from a sinful heart and give you freedom in him. All right, verse 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. I've got notes for all of those. <laughs> but here's what I want to tell you. They're all preaching the gospel to us over and over and over and over again. They're all saying the same thing. You know what you have? Verse 4, you have newness of life. Do you see it? Verse 5, it, what does it say? We've been united with him in the likeness of his death. We will, be, we, will be, we will be united also in his resurrection. Listen, that's why we can bury people in our families that we love and we don't grieve like a people without hope. Some of you put people in the ground and you didn't know how you were going to take another step forward, but you can. Why? Because you have hope. Because we have the promise of the resurrection in Jesus. Jesus was dead. He rose from the grave and now is alive. It's the difference between him and every other person who claimed to be God. Verse 6, 7, what happened? Our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin, what? Might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be what? Enslaved to sin. Verse 7, since a person who has died is free from sin. Do you all understand a pattern going on here? Are you alive to sin if you're in Christ or dead to sin? Dead to sin. You no longer have to obey sin. Why? Because of the power of Jesus within you. Not because you can get it together and work harder, because why wouldn't you? After all he's done for you, why wouldn't you do that for him? That message will never, ever, ever get you closer to Jesus. You want to know what gets you closer to Jesus? You understanding you are already as close to Jesus as you could ever be. Working harder, reading more, trying more, doing more won't get you closer to the person who already has united himself with you. You have to understand the truth of grace. You have to understand what he's done for us. What has happened, verse 10 and 11, I'm going to read these, is an irreversible transformation. Verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves, what? Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Irreversible transformation. Now, verse 12 is alarming. 
If y'all hadn't read the Bible before, it's a fun thing to do. It's alarming. Look at what it says. It sounds crazy. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do y'all understand what that means? It is telling us to stop sinning. It sounds like it's telling us the same thing that I was told when I was a kid. Don't do anything fun. Y'all could have laughed there, but it would have made me nervous. <laughs> if it was fun, it was wrong. Movies, music, all of it. If it sounded, I didn't even hear James Taylor until I was 25 years old. He's not that bad. That's great music. You have to have the right perspective of your identity. Listen, we're going to land this thing right here. You have to have the right perspective of your identity. That's your next point. Verse 13. And do not offer your parts to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. You want to know what that means? If that means that in the cosmic war between good and evil, if you're in Christ, you are forever on the side of the good guys. Nothing can ever change that. Nobody can ever pull you away. You can't sin enough to pull yourself out of the good guy camp. But let me tell you a secret. The scripture never gives us a standard to meet without giving us the power to meet that standard. I'm going to say that again because some of y'all aren't getting that. You should be writing this stuff down. The scripture never gives us a standard to meet without giving us the power to meet that standard. If somebody looked at me and told me to dunk a basketball on a 10-foot goal, would I be able to do it? Hold on. Don't rush to an answer, but it's no. Surprisingly so. And if I was going to dunk a basketball, I'd have to go to my house and roll that thing down to where I could stand there and jump so I don't break an ankle when I tried to jump. Try being the key word. That means I wouldn't have the power to keep up with a standard that was expected of me. Listen, Scripture gives us the power. The power to keep up with the standard, the power to guard your heart is not in you, it's in Jesus. And your understanding of what he has done for you and how he has changed you will be the way that you guard your heart moving into the future. Now, verse 14 says this. This is the mic drop moment, right? Here's the mic drop in verse 14. For sin will not rule over you. Why? Because you are not under the law, but under grace. Man, come on now. Being under the law means that you have to follow the Ten Commandments. Have y'all read the Ten Commandments? You broke them this morning. Not a joke. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't murder. And if you hate somebody, it's just the same as murdering somebody. You people are in bad shape. Without verse 14... Do you see what it said? You're not under the law. What are you under? The grace. Do you understand who you are in Jesus? Do you understand the power you have? Why? Because of him, not because of you. Listen, I'm, I, I'm out of time. I wish I could preach for two more hours about this, and I know you do too. 
you, you people laugh at the wrong time. But I've got an illustration. I'm going to try not to mess up the stage about what it really means to be united in Christ and have a brand new identity. Right? I was in Dallas last year, and I saw one of my favorite preachers. I didn't say this in the first service. I saw one of my favorite preachers do this. So anything I say good is always something I stole from somebody else. So if you just search the Internet long enough, you'll find my whole message just wrapped around like 17 different guys. Uh, but as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. So, so here we go. Um, my, my fa- one of my favorites, his name is John Lynch. He wrote a book called True Face. If you want to read a lot more about this, man, what a great book. John Lynch, not the baseball player. Uh, but he- here's just an illustration. Now, let's just say that this water represents us. Okay? Has everybody got that? The water represents us. And, and, and this vegetable oil from the dollar store represents goodness. And all things good and what we've been taught, how our righteousness and us come together, right? This is kind of what we've been taught. And maybe you weren't taught this, but maybe you just believe this, that the way that you thought you were were united with righteousness or united in Jesus or you had a new identity in Jesus was kind of like how this oil and water come together. And and, and the way we're taught is that you take two things that that are not the same thing and that could never be the same thing and you put them together in Christ and you say, all right, here you go. Get after it following Jesus. And you're like, man, I'm ready. I mean, I'm ready. Did you know how bad of a sinner I was? And we start putting together our best effort. And we're working. And we start out good, right? We're reading the Bible. We're waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning, waking up Jesus with our prayers going, Jesus, get up. I'm ready to go. I'm glad you liked that. I did too. <laughs> and, we, and, and when we start out the first couple of weeks, things are going good and we try harder and we're just stirring. We're working away and stirring. And what we're doing the whole time is to say, hey, the righteousness that I've been given, like the more I work, the closer that those two things kind of look, look like the same thing, right? You see it? Doesn't, don't they look like the same? Say yes, say yes. Don't they look like the same? They do. And if I just keep stirring, I just keep working, I just keep doing more, giving more, reading more, praying more, trying more, sinning less, sinning less, then it's going to finally look the same. And you'll finally see that the oil and the water, the Jesus and the me, they finally are the same because I'm showing everybody around me that they're the same. And then finally, man, one day I just kind of fell off the wagon and I took a break for a day. And I was like, I'm kind of tired. And when I, when I take a break and I didn't wake up at 4 o'clock and I didn't read my Bible and I didn't give enough and I made a mistake and I yelled at my kids and then I yelled at my kids again and then after the third time I yelled at them for the third time and then I threatened them and now they listened to me and then I took all that time threatening my kids and, and getting to church and told them to smile on the way into church because people needed to know that we love Jesus, right? <laughs> that I, I stopped stirring. And the two things were now no different than when they started. The water's still the water and the oil's still the oil. No matter how long I stir this, all day long, you come back, those two things will not ever be the same. And that's how a lot of us have been taught. But, but, man, the truth is, I'm this water. That came right out of that faucet in there, so don't drink it. And there's the oil. Now, that's just not any oil. That's extra virgin olive oil. 
And I wish you could have seen my wife's face when I poured it into this jar, out of our large jar. The ladies in the room understand that fully, but the men have never been to the grocery store. That is probably $4,000 worth of olive oil right there. <laughs> my close, I'm close, right? That's probably, that's probably close. That's probably. And my wife, is, <laughs> this isn't part of the illustration. My wife looks at me and she's like, try to save some. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, we'll just do that. Now, these two beautiful things have come together, right? And, and you look at them and you go, man, that's, that's beautiful oil and that's, that's water. But if that sits there all day, it'll still be the same thing if you don't do something to the process, which is, which is add something in. Now, some of you science teachers out there, y'all are smarter than me because I barely got out of high school. But you understand that this process is known as emulsification. Have y'all ever heard of that word before? Yeah. Don't lie to me. Okay. Now, the process of emulsification, what it does, it takes two things that don't belong together, and it forever brings them together in one identity. Now, unlike the water and the oil, me stirring out of my effort, me the water, the righteousness of God, this oil, this egg represents the resurrection and risen body of Jesus. Through a power not of our own, I don't know what you call this, but it's awesome. You see, through this power, we begin to stir these two things together. And because the egg brings into some sort of chemical process that I don't understand that they call emulsification, what happens is they become one. And I can stop stirring. And I can go yell at my kids a lot and we can wait here all day and those two things will never separate hey 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 look right here in my eyes every one of you on your worst day you're in Christ moms when you think you can't keep up and keep the house clean enough and the kids straight enough or clean enough keep your family together enough dads when you think you can't work anymore or try any harder let me tell you something on your worst day in Christ. And the way you guard your heart, the way you guard your heart against temptation is you wake up every morning just like verses 4 through 10 and you preach the gospel to yourself. Not to try harder, but remember more. I'm in Christ. I've been forgiven. I'm dead. The old guy's gone. I'm a new man in him. I don't have to obey my flesh any longer. I have power over sin, power through what Jesus has done, and not through myself. Amen. Hey, hey, trust it. If you're a guy who's been following Jesus, you're a lady who's been following Jesus a long time, and you just don't feel like you can keep up, you trust who you are in Him this morning. If you've never, ever taken on this new identity in Jesus through, through salvation, and following him, I just encourage you, turn to Jesus today. Give him your heart. Man, what he can do with you, man, far beyond what we can do with ourselves. Father, we are grateful for the gospel. It is the power, your name is the power by which we believe. God, this morning, I know that there are people here within the sound of my voice, God, that, that need to hear this message of encouragement. They need to hear this message of freedom in you. 
And God, I pray that you would give them that freedom and encouragement through the gospel. God, help us to trust where we need to trust. God, help us to be free where we need to be free. God, we just ask this morning that you bend our wicked hearts if we're away from you and aren't in Jesus, that you bend our wicked hearts towards you. And if we are in you, God, you bend our hearts that are already in you back towards the truth of the gospel. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.